0: Alright, hello everybody, and welcome to the 411 Ground and Pound MMA Podcast. We are your weekly look into the wide, wacky, wonderful world of mixed martial arts. Thank you so very, very much for listening. My name is Robert Winfrey, and I am your host, per usual. On the agenda this evening, UFC on ESPN 48 last night. UFC was back at the Apex, and they had a card. And I was a little down on it on paper. That said, I think when we talked about it, uh, the stuff that I was moderately excited about tended to deliver. And the stuff that... This was a very... If you looked at this card critically, you could pretty easily go, okay, that's pretty good. That's pretty good. That not so much. That not so much. That's pretty good. Pretty much down the line, right? And I think the stuff that... You thought would be pretty good was pretty good, and the stuff that you kind of went, yeah, not so sure was, yeah, not so sure. Uh, That's, you got, again, pretty much what you expected here. So we'll be breaking down all the reaction, all the fallout from that. Plus, this coming Saturday, International Fight Week, to the extent that that means anything anymore. UFC 290, two title fights. We got Bobby Knuckles and DDP going at it. Uh, We got a lot of stuff to get through to that one. Really good pay-per-view. I don't think it's going to... It's a hardcore fan's uh, delight. There's a lot of really good stuff there if you know who's who and what's going on and whatnot. But if you're... I don't think this is going to have a lot of reach into the more casual audience. A hunch. Might be wrong, but just kind of a hunch there. That said, I'm not complaining about it. That's just an observation. Uh then of course, news of the week. We have uh we have some stuff to talk about. Not nothing major, I don't think, but stuff that's worth discussing, so if you would please interact with the products just a little bit, that's always helpful. Like, comment, subscribe, depending on your podcast platform of choice, star rating, written review, whatever's applicable. And if you've done any and all of that, sure. Tell people on whatever your social media platform of choice happens to be. I don't especially care. Uh, Throw that out there. And, yeah, let me uh, help the show out in that respect. I appreciate all of you. Um, I know this isn't the biggest show in the world, but I appreciate the fact that I have an audience at all. So, thank you. Uh, I think that's everything on the uh, preamble, so let's jump into it, shall we? UFC on ESPN, 48. In the main event, Sean Strickland defeats Abus uh, Magomedov via TKO, 420 of the second, mostly punches. About as bipolar a fight as you can get here. uh, Abus came out guns blazing. Throwing kicks, uh, throwing some nice front kicks, calf kicks. Had some okay punch. The problem is, uh, Strickland has a very unorthodox striking defense, and against any really technically sound striker, it tends to go badly for him. Uh, what Alex Pereira did, do, did to him is not an accident, but most people aren't Alex Pereira, um, and he, his. Defense, the kind of way he gets his arms out, he's good about hand fighting, obstructing punching lanes. The problem is he's not great about getting his hands back to defense, so if you throw in combination or if you can get him biting on a good feint, you can see the opening that's left behind and you can capitalize on it. Uh, He's also not, not trying to be dismissive here. He's not great about defense to the body. He tends to rely on being able to gut through it. And fair play if you're properly conditioned to the body. That helps a lot. He's not great about dealing with his legs. And that could be a much bigger problem. I think he only checked one of the leg kicks. I only saw one, at least, that uh, Abus threw. And as many jabs as Strickland likes to use, that if he's that heavy on that lead leg, it's... It's pretty open to be countered there, so... Some stuff to pay attention to. He does a lot of leaning as well with his defense. It's... It's just a... The reality is, it's a style that's going to work for him against the majority of the division. Because there's not a lot of... The guys at middleweight who really know how to strike, really know how to strike. But there's a pretty steep drop-off after guys like you know Whitaker, Adesanya, um, Pereira moved up. Like Whitaker and Adesanya are the gold standard of striking at middleweight. They're very different styles, but both exceptional. You get too much below that. Jared Cannonier didn't have too much success. Cannonier does a bit more power punching than he does kind of interesting technical stuff that I don't mean to dismiss him. He just had a really good performance when he battered Marvin Vittori. But if you rewatch their fight, I actually thought Strickland won. I scored it for him. I don't... I'm not up in arms over it, not going his way. His activity was a bit too low. But he kind of diffused a lot of Cannoneer's offense, and that's not easy to do. But you can get away with being weird and awkward If the way in which you are weird and awkward offsets the vast majority of what the rest of the division does. And his striking defense, it's not any way you teach, necessarily. I mean, maybe if you're doing, he does kind of a Philly shell thing. It's a really modified one, and it's not, (laughs) Um, again, when I, I say kind of one of those things. It's kind of. Um, he's pretty square. His footwork's still not the best, but there's a few things that were going in his favor here. One, he's tough. He's got some losses, but he doesn't. Have, first of all, he doesn't have a whole lot of losses. Um, Pereira stopped him back in 2018 at welterweight. Leszczyski dos Santos stopped, uh, stopped him, and that's it. Like, get his third UFC fight, he lost a decision to Santiago Ponzinibbio. He lost. He won three in a row, lost a decision to Kamaru Usman. Won a fight, lost to Dos Santos. Um, won a fight at welterweight, moved up to middleweight. I mean, his only losses at middleweight are being stopped by Pereira and then the split with Cannoneer. He's an awkward fighter, but he's ha- he's a tough out, man. He's hard to hurt. The problem is the guys who really know what they're doing can really get to him. Like, this is one of those feast or famine kind of defensive styles where a lot of the way MMA fighters punch, he's going to be able to block, disrupt, uh, I hate to say shoulder roll, but sort of shoulder roll, move with his feet. Like he's He's going to avoid a lot of it. And the handful of guys who know how to make reads, who know how to punish his habits, are going to have a lot of success against him. Uh, To the credit of Abus Magomedov, he had a good first round. He won that round cleanly. I don't know if he over... It seemed like he got a little tired after a grappling exchange in the first. He got a takedown... Couldn't quite keep it. Strickland's takedown defense is good, and his ability to regain his feet is good. And it seemed like that might have disrupted what he was doing, and he came out for that second round, and he looked gassed almost right away. Strickland just relentless pressure. A couple of other things I want to give Strickland credit for. Um, He's always been kind of a jab-heavy fighter. He built on that, finally, a little bit, this fight. It's one of the big criticisms of some of the other close-ish fights he's had. Like, he'll jab your face off if you give him the opportunity, but he doesn't build off of it. He doesn't follow up all that often. He was much better about following up the offense here, about stringing together combinations. Um, He just walked Magomedov down and battered him, broke him down, got him to drop. Well, he dropped him with a left hand. Uh, Little late stoppage, if I'm going to be honest, from the ref. Um. They could have stopped he could've stopped this one earlier, and I don't think anything would have been lost. Uh, Strickland's first finish since twenty twenty. Good for him. We're not quite sure what's up with middleweight at the moment. There's a few things up in the air. We've got a couple of upcoming fights that are gonna be important. First, next weekend we've got Robert Whitaker and Drichus Duplacy. In theory that crowns the next title contender. In theory um that's going to be pursuant to a few different things we don't know what's up with kamzat shemaev i don't think he should get a title shot let me be abundantly clear about this he has beaten no one of relevance in the middleweight division he has one middleweight win in the ufc against gerald mershardt then he had that uh catch weight with kevin holland he needs my opinion he needs to beat one I don't necessarily need top five middleweight, but can we get, like, top ten? He needs to beat one top ten middleweight, please. But that's my opinion, and we all know the UFC has no hesitance about hot-shotting people in there. So we don't know what's up with him. We don't quite know what's up with Adesanya. He... regaining the belt the way he did. First ever... I I believe this is... uh, yeah, this is true... First man to regain the middleweight title after losing it. No one else had done that. There's some open questions about whether or not he wants to go to 205. Now, if he does, its go- he's going to have to put some time into changing his body to fight at 205. He can't just cut less weight. And he might have to change his fighting style a little bit, but that's an option. We don't know how much longer he's going to be at middleweight. So, that's a question mark. Strickland is one of the guys that Adesanya hasn't fought yet. At the moment, Adesanya seems to really want to fight Duplessis. And if Duplessis gets by Whitaker, spoiler alert for my preview of that, I do not expect him to. But if he does, like, dude, you beat Robert Whitaker, you should get a title shot. He's He's an exceptional fighter. But Strickland, being a guy that hasn't fought for the belt yet, he's making some noise about it. He had some weird line about wanting to fight, like, the first full Chinese champion that was out as- I don't know what he's doing. Uh, look, Strickland, when he's willing to... If he's figuring out how to string together more offense, he's got cardio. He's physically tough. He's more technically sound than you might think. He's willing to pursue the fight. He's just He's a tough out for that division. I tend to think the guys who are going to beat him are going to do so dramatically, but short of that, you're in for a rough one against him. He'll be there uh Teddy Atlas got some heat for he likened some of what happened here to what happened in the famous boxing fight between Marvin Hagler and Tommy Hearns he's you know Hagler broke down Tommy Hearns. And that's what Strickland did here. I get the point he's making. He's kind of getting killed for it because Hagler-Hearns is... That's a movie fight. If you, I've said this many times. If you haven't seen the war between Marvelous Marvin Hagler and the hitman Tommy Hearns, it's on YouTube. Do yourself a favor. It's only like two and a half rounds of mayhem in boxing. That's a fight that is held in ridiculously high esteem for very good reason. This fight is not one of those. I don't think he's... Again, I don't believe Teddy Atlas is likening the action or the fight quality. He's drawing a comparison about the sort of strategy and how this played out and likening it to a boxing fight that everyone will know. Even if the aesthetics are wildly different, the fundamental um, the the fundamentals of what happened, fundamental tactics, are similar. And he, there are probably boxing fights that are more appropriate, if we're talking like level of action and whatnot, than that one. But everyone knows Hagler Hearns, and so he's drawing a comparison to a well-known fight that exhibits the same principles. As this one, even though this one was absolutely not at all in the same caliber of fight in many, many respects. So, I'm not going to kill him for that. Right, uh, this is not going to be great for Magomedov. The, it's one thing to lose to Sean Strickland. It's more that he fell apart the way he did after five minutes. I don't know exactly what happened here, but my man, you you can't do that. You cannot have a one round gas tank. Uh, you're just you're gonna have a really bad time in the UFC. Really bad time. He was given a big step up here. They've been struggling to get that guy back in the cage. He'd had, I think, two or three fights fall out since his debut. He's gotta refine this a little bit. He's gotta be ready, willing, and able to fight for three rounds if necessary. It's an adjustment that I think he can make, but this was a pretty serious learning experience for him, I would imagine. Uh, Strickland's going to be somewhere near the top after this. I mean, he was already, like, seventh, I think. Um, You might do him and Shemaev. That's a thought. Uh, There's a few different ways this could go. We're still waiting on a couple of things to shake out about the top of the division before we really know where things are, so... Bit of a holding pattern for him. For Magomedov, you took a big step up and you got sent back down. Let's see if he can rebuild from there. I hope he can. There's a lot about his game that I like. And he definitely showed promise. The problem is, if you only look like a world beater for five minutes, most other world beaters are going to outlast you. Yeah? That was your main event. Decent enough performance. Decent enough little fight. Uh, horribly bipolar. That first round and second round look nothing alike apart from the two fighters and the ref. Nothing alike. Kind of crazy. Very rare that you see fights that's, with that stark a division line that are, again, you know, that different. All right, moving on. Co-main event. Grant Dawson defeats Demiris Magulov unanimous decision. 230-27s, 130-26. Um... I was 30 26 I saw some people with even more dramatic scorecards kind of what I mentioned might happen Dawson relentless wrestler got things down great back takes seriously exceptional back takes from Grant Dawson body triangle and just kind of rode things out from there Um, rinse and repeat I don't I still don't know what's up with this Magulov. You know, he mentioned he was going to retire, then well, I got one fight left in my deal this being it. So I'm going to fight that one out. I I don't know if he's retired after this. I don't know if he's coming back. Stuff up in the air. Not a great There was some good stuff from him, okay? I'm, I I want to give him a little bit of credit. His jab is still very good. It's a very potent weapon. Uh he never He never broke mentally. He was always there. He was always trying. So there's that. Um, Unfortunately, he's struggled a little bit with some of these really pressure-heavy wrestlers. If he is sticking around, that's a hole he needs to shore up. You can't have that at lightweight. That's that's just not going to work. As for Dawson, still some striking issues. Uh, defense in particular, he got hit here, but his back takes are smooth, very quick. His control back there is very good. Let me use this point to... uh, Let me use this fight to uh, talk about a singular point for just a minute or two. One of the least entertaining and appealing styles of fight to watch is what Grant Dawson did here. I am not saying he shouldn't have done it. I am not saying... There should be a rule change about this. Let me just express what's going on. So you're never going to get stood up from back mount. You're just not. It's the most dominant position in the sport. And if you're sitting here going, well, doesn't that mean you should be able to get finished from it? Eh, Ideally. But you have every attacking option, or certainly a lot of them, what is your opponent going to do if you're on their back? Like, what are their offensive options? I mean, little, like, behind-the-head punches? Well, maybe if they cross their feet when they've got hooks, you can do that stupid ankle lock. It almost. That's one of those... Ugh. <laughs> okay. I'm not saying you shouldn't teach people... Look. I'm not saying there's nothing there when you do that. I'm saying... I've seen it work a small handful of times. Most of the time when you cross your feet if you've got hooks, you're fine. The reason you don't want to teach people to do that is not so much the offensive option the other guy has. It's kind of nothing. It's because it's actually not great for control. You need to worry about the hips and having proper hooks and being able to use your ankles and kind of the hollows of the hips. That's what stops them. If you close your legs a little more, cross your ankles, that's a lot easier to bridge and turn into. Proper use of the hooks controls the hips and doesn't allow for that. That's what... That's... I and I just tend to think that you're better off being honest about that than going, don't cross your legs. Well, why? Eh, yeah, there's an ankle lock. Yeah, really? But... And, I mean, it's like, that's a different position than the body triangle, but I'm making a point here. Like, what do they got? They got nothing. You've achieved the most dominant position that MMA, or jiu-jitsu for that matter, has. There's nothing more dominant than this. What do we do with this? So, you're never going to get stood up from here. Ever. But, finishing from there is kind of hard. Especially with gloves. Especially against someone who knows what they're doing. So you get, we got like three minutes around of Dawson just on his Magulov's back, rotating side to side, moving the lock around and hand fighting, looking for a choke. Occasionally throwing a few short punches or hammer fists. It's a profoundly effective style. It completely removes the danger to you. You're not really in danger of officiating interference. The scoring is relatively clear. Unless you get really beat up on the feet and only have a small bit of back control time, you're, you spend three minutes on somebody's back, you win the round. Unless you almost get stopped. And it's just utterly uninteresting to watch for the most part. <laughs> Here's part of the problem. Um, People don't... I don't know what this is. There's enough good coaches out there that should know how to do this. But I don't know if it's them. I don't know if it's the fighters in the moment. I don't know what it is. But everybody, like, most people, I can't say everybody. Most people trying to fight the body lock, they don't go about it the right way. You get a lot of, I mean, even commentary talking about, okay, put the side with the foot, put the side with the lock. On the ground, it puts pressure on the ankle. Like, all you're doing is advocating for a low percentage ankle lock. You may as well be telling somebody to like you can do the ankle lock with your legs when they've got their feet crossed. I implore anyone out there who wants to know how to do this properly or see a bit more of it, Gordon Ryan has a whole series. I think it's on BJJ Fanatics. He's got a whole series on how
1: to deal with the body triangle. Watch it. It's profoundly helpful
0: because this is a position that's going to become more common, and you have to know how to deal with it. So, and there's a lot of a lot of the older school of thought. I think is a little bit behind the curve on this one. There's not a lot of uh, I think most attempts to deal with it don't have the most modern approach. And Gordon Ryan has a much more modern sensibility to how he approaches this. Not in everything, but in the body, dealing with the body triangle, I give what he talks about very, very serious consideration. So, yeah, there's that. Dawson, Uh, good win. Very good win. Uh, don't know exactly what's next for him. But he's not lost in the UFC. He seems to have sorted out some of his cardio issues. He's still slowed down the stretch, visibly. But not nearly as badly as he had in the past. Um. was it him who called out... I think he did the, you know, give me Saryukian, give me... Um... He did, though, I want a big name or a big number. So, I think he mentioned, like, Tony Ferguson because he's a name. And that's just... That ain't happening. Or Benil Daryush because Daryush is still highly ranked. And Sayukin would be an option. There's a few other guys. Him and Sayukin could have some wild wrestling. But there's options. And I think Dawson definitely is going to be a player. He's, I get the feeling he's going to run into one more of those, like, serious road bumps or ceilings before he really figures himself out. But... For the moment, still on the upward trajectory, so good for him. So, yeah, alright, moving on. Walter weight. Michael Morales defeats Max Griffin, being in unanimous decision, 29 28 across the boards. I was 30 27 Morales, but the first round, eh, I could have gone. I, I don't object to Griffin winning that. Solid performance from Morales. He struggled. They had a pretty even first round. Second and third on, Morales' power seems to start working. His jab. Messed up Griffin, he, uh, he hurt him pretty badly at one point. Uh, solid win for Morales overall, who's undefeated, I think 15-0 and now. Pay attention to him. Pay attention to him. He's got some upside. Uh, women's flyweight, Ariane Lipsky defeated Melissa Gatto via split decision. There was a 29-28 either way, and then a 30-27 for Lipsky. Don't get the 30-27 here. 29-28 either way is fine. Um, giving Lipsky the first, I think, has to seriously overvalue forward pressure that didn't lead to as much, in my opinion. Um, but, again, you know, I don't object to her winning. Lightweight. Uh, nice little upset here, actually. Benoit Saint-Denis defeated Ismail Bonfim via rear naked choke, 448 of the first. These two just went after it. Uh, they... Bonfim tried a lot of stuff here, but Saint-Denis stayed a little bit more calm, a little bit more fundamental. Uh, Just kind of let him waste some energy as they were fighting. Kept kept up the pressure. uh, Got him down. Beat him up. Got his back. Nice stuff from Saint-Denis here, who I... I don't think I gave him his proper dues last time when we previewed this. I picked Bonfim and... Not saying I wouldn't have still picked him, but uh, Sandini is a guy that maybe deserved a little bit more credit than I gave him, so mea culpa there. Um, I mean, he's never lost at lightweight. His only loss, he fought at welterweight on short notice against Elijah Zaleski Dos Santos in his UFC debut. His record at middleweight is 11-0 and one no contest. Um. Yeah, he's, in. he's pretty good. Uh, he wanted to fight on the Paris card in September. Fair enough. Um, I think he's the one who might have mentioned and or someone similar. And then uh, I don't think either. I don't think a ranked lightweight is going to give him a shot at their position at the moment. But I appreciate him, you know, starting to get the names out there. He turned in a very good performance here, so uh, definitely a guy who uh, I need to reevaluate. Uh, and kicking off the main card, Nursultan Ruzboev defeated Bruno Ferreira via uh, knockout. He phew, 117 of the first, so Ruzboev is 6'5" at middleweight. Like that's just There's big guys at middleweight, but they don't usually get taller than 6'3". This guy to be 6'5", he was, like, 7 inches taller. I think he had, like, 3 or 4 inches of reach. So, one of the ways to deal with that kind of disparity, you throw kicks. Not the worst idea in the world, Fejero was throwing kicks. Unfortunately, they were naked. Not set up, just kind of swinging them out there. Gulzboyev catches one. And then punches him in the face as he's on one leg. Now, you see this counter all the time. Uh, Somebody throws a leg kick, catch, counter right. Fairly common. In kickboxing, in Muay Thai, in MMA, fairly common counter, right? Uh, In fact, some guys... Here's kind of the problem. You get used to doing this with a couple of assumptions. Um... One is that your head's going to kind of be out of range. In fact, if you look at some guys who do it, I think it was Rod Tang I saw do it, who is very, very good at this all the time. Catch the kick, thr- drills the right hand. Rod Tang will go to the body a fair amount of times too. Because as soon as that kick is caught, his opponent you know, shells up top. Right goes to the body, boom. Uh, so there's that. There's some. There are some assumptions about distance that go with this counter if you're fighting someone roughly your own size you know roughly they can't punch you in the face from where they caught the kick they're going to be out of range they have to step they have to shift they have to close the distance other unless they punch you in the body which is again kind of but going to the head they have to come forward so if you can get a feel for their movement, like if they're moving side to side, if they're not coming forward, or if you have a good reaction to them catching the kick, you have that little bit of extra time. There's just a lot of stuff that you wind up doing automatically based on the assumption that you can't quite hit me from there. Well, unfortunately for Ferreira, Ruzboyev could. Ruzboyev was stepping through anyway, but if you look at when that punch lands, it's basically from his stance. He's leaning forward a little bit, but he's not really stepping the way a lot of people do. Uh, catches him off balance, right in the head. Wasn't expecting it. I think the fall hurt him as much as anything else. Rusboyev um, has been trying to get to the UFC for a while. He developed a bit of a... I hate to say reputation like this, but there were a lot of accusations leveled at him for a while on the on the more regional scene that this was a guy who was very good, but was crushing a lot of cans to pad his resume. I don't think that's... I don't think it was true then. I think it was look, trying to get here, and sometimes there are logistical issues uh he's from Uzbekistan and that can occasionally co- diplomatic relations are a thing and how that works and can you get a visa and all kinds of other stuff so he'd been trying to get this for a while you come in there and you do that to Bruno Ferreira like Ferreira was like that was only 10 and oh. still on the come up in some respects and was boy of I counted it yesterday like almost almost like 50 fights but Ferreira's also no joke. You know, he If you were just a can crusher on the regional scene and not ready for this, he, he'd he find out in a hurry. He's that kind of fighter. Even young as young as he is, Ferreira would have found out. But I give his boy of credit. Nice win. Very nice win. On the prelims, uh, Renat Fakrandinov defeated Kevin Levy. A technical submission. Guillotine choke. Not, um... The commentary, and Laura Sanko in particular was calling it a power guillotine. This might just be a terminology difference. um, Because that did not look like a power guillotine. The way I draw a distinction here is the power guillotine and the ninja choke are kind of interchangeable. And what you do there, one of the keys there is the grip. Instead of uh, either an S-grip or palm-to-palm palm or whatever with the hands, you figure for them like you're doing a rear naked choke grip, right? You grab your own bicep. That's the power guillotine. She called it a power guillotine just because there was not an arm trapped. Um, again, this might just be a terminology thing. Not how I've ever heard that one described. But her, this isn't an instance where she was thinking that it was something that it wasn't this was just, this might just, again this might just be she was always taught this is what makes it a power guillotine versus this and i try very hard not to get hung up on random nomenclature like that it's it's as long as you know what you're talking about if you call it something slightly different than me i don't care I'm not going to get bogged down lecture, you know, yelling about the difference between a kimura and a double wrist lock. I'm going to annoy the catch wrestling community here. But call it whatever you want. It's a side choke, not an arm triangle. I don't care. Do you do something different? It's the same technique. You call it something different. Fine. Whatever. Uh, this is one of those things that a lot of the martial arts community gets up in arms over for no good reason. It's a little bit frustrating, to be honest. So I only say that because I only do it because not how I've heard that one described. I've heard it described differently, but she knows what she's talking about. And she was talking about what she was seeing. If that's how she was taught what that is from a terminology standpoint, fair enough. Um but Fakundinov, he just he timed Kevin Lee's jab. Caught him as he was, like, mid-step. Blasted him with a right hand. Dropped him. Lee comes up looking for a single leg. And Fakrandinov as Lee comes up on that single, his right arm instantly comes forward. Forearm goes under the chin right away. Grabs it. Grabs the choke. And he doesn't sit back for the guillotine. Because Lee's kind of reaching around his legs. He actually sinks down into a really deep squat. Um, which kind of captures the arms of Lee um in like a if he doing a hamstring curl like they're caught between his calf and his hamstring and he's leaning his weight on top of him it was a nasty nasty finish to that one actually uh the ref give credit to the referee i think it was Herb Dean in this case um the way he checked and the way he made sure that uh when he checked for the unconsciousness of Kevin Lee um yeah, a lot of guys might might have got that one wrong. Uh, he didn't. He was very aware of what was going on. Heck of a win for Fakron Dinov, who's on a 20-fight winning streak at this point. He's like 22-2. I think the UFC, or 21-2. The UFC, I think, has him at 21-1. I, the websites where I get my information from on this respect, I trust more than the UFC, put it that way. But either way, the winning streak is not actually in question. It would the loss the debatable like second loss here comes not really applicable to that. Long winning streak. Pardon me. Tough wrestler, heavy-handed, clearly um yeah, that guys a problem. That guys a problem for welterweight. Uh, really unfortunate for Kevin Lee to return this way. He looked like he finally had kind of grown his body into welterweight here. Uh, He just got a rude return to the UFC. Um, Between injuries and time off and everything, I don't know what Lee does from here. This was a... Dr. Ndinov is unranked. And I'm not saying he should have been ranked. I think partially the UFC, they looked for a very tough fight for him. Whether that's because they disliked Kevin Lee or they wanted to... I think they also really wanted to see what's up with Like He'd run through a couple of guys in his first two UFC fights, decisions, but they weren't especially close. And they might have been testing him as much as testing Lee, and this was just a very, very tough fight on paper for both guys. So, I don't know what Lee does from here. He probably sticks around
1: welterweight. He'll probably get another shot, and I wouldn't object to it. But he's not getting... Uh,
0: put it this way. Other guys returning have received... Not this difficult an assi- a first assignment back. Whatever that's worth. Uh, Joe Anderson Brito defeated Weston Wilson via first-round knockout. As expected, Brito was the biggest favorite on the card. Like, minus 1250, I think. Power puncher... Came out. Wilson tried. He's got a little bit of that karate. I think he trains with um, Stephen Thompson and in, in uh, upstate karate. So He's got a little bit of that style. Rolled for some knee bars, actually. In fact, what led to the finish, he actually had a pretty good knee bar going. Unfortunately, I think the fence got a little bit in his way for extension, and he couldn't quite fully control the angle of the knee, uh, which meant that Brito was able to get just enough angle to no longer be in danger of the knee bar posture up stand over him and just drop it was right hands just bombs on him until he goes out uh, as expected here pretty much um Carol hossa defeated Giannis santos via split decision 29-28 yeah that's fair um this wasn't a great fight Heck of a fight here though, actually. Elvis Brenner and Gruem Kuta Delazze. Um, Brenner stops Kuta Deladze via punches three seventeen of the third round. Uh this was a war. This was your fight of the night. Hands down deservedly, by the way. Um
1: Kuta Delazze took this on slightly short notice. Um, who did he can't
0: remember who he replaced. Well, oh, this fight just came together slightly last-minute notice. Um. So, they had a good fight. Laze slowed a little after the first, but he hurt Brenner at the end of the first. And then uh, cut him around the right eye, just under the outside of the right eyebrow. Pretty bad cut, actually. Then second round gets him down and opens this like two inch long gash in his forehead up by the hairline. Um, not, not enough to stop the fight, but somebody else on Twitter said it. I forget who, so I apologize. But if you ever, if you'll remember Jason Mayhem Miller when he had like that one part of his hair that was just red, that's what the like back left quadrant of uh, Brenner's head looked like. He came in with like um, platinum blonde hair. Half of that, I saw a full quarter of that was red by the end of this. I mean, red. But Brenner persevered through some tough spots, kept it close. They battered each other. Then third round, kind of exiting a pocket exchange. He lands a left hand. He'd been going southpaw a little bit. Left hand that hits an unexpected Kuta de to Um Right on the neck, like right behind the jaw and on the neck. And just... You can see his his arms don't come up as he comes back. He kind of just staggers backwards and slumps to the ground, just turns his lights off. Great fight. Look this one up if you didn't see it. Uh, loved the kicks from Kuteladz. They loved his elbow use. Brenner's toughness was on display. Um, heck of a fight. Heck of a fight here from both guys. Uh, hats off to him. Women's flyweight Luana Carolina defeated Ivana Petrovic via unanimous decision. 29-28 across the boards. Petrovic just looks like she's lacking a little physicality for flyweight. And one of these fighters who comes in without 10 fights and just not quite ready for even the mid-tier UFC fighter like Carolina. And kicking everything off, Alexander Romanov defeated even off the unanimous decision, 30-27 across the board. Pretty crappy fight. So that's what it was. Uh, I mentioned already your fight of the night. Brenner and Kuteladze. Easy call. Um, honorable mention for Fight of the Night to saint and Bonfim, personally. But, yeah. Brenner and Couto de Lodze. Uh Tough loss for Couto de Lodze. He's a very good fighter, and you can see the pieces. But he's struggled to find the consistency necessary to really excel in the UFC. So, Let's see if you can put that together. Injuries have really kind of derailed him. Now, if you'll recall, he debuted and beat Mateusz Gamrot. Uh, then he f- went life and death with uh, Izmagulov. Lost a close split decision. Uh, now this one... The pieces are there for him. Trying to get them put together. Still a bit of work in progress in that respect. Uh, performances of the night went to Sean Strickland and, Nurs- and Nursultan Vuzboyev. Uh No real objection. I would have given one to Um I thought that deserved it, but... Uh, you could have gone... You could have gone with any of the other finishes that were not um, Brenner and and I don't think there'd be too much cause for concern. Personally, I might have gone Falkrindinov. Maybe over Strickland, actually. But that's just me. I'm not crying over it. That's just uh, both those guys turned in valiant efforts, so... If you want the full report, as well as my live round by round scoring, that's available in the MMA Zone of 411Mania.com. Give it a read if you're so inclined. I appreciate it. All right, let us move on. UFC 290. So, UFC on pay per view, they are in the T Mobile Arena. Main event, darn good fight here. For the featherweight title to unify the real title and the interim title. I didn't actually object to the interim title. See my preview for the fight between Volkanovsky and Makashev for my explanation of that event, of that decision. Um, This is a really good fight. It's a really good fight. Here's the thing. I don't really pick against Volkanovsky, and I'm not going to here. However, important dot, dot, dot here. There's a few things to keep in mind. Um, One, Volkanovski is 35. Almost 35. He'll be 35 in September. That is the magic line for Welterweight and below. Right? Not saying he's not good enough to overcome it. Not saying it's going to rear its head here. Saying pay attention to it. Second... Yair Rodriguez and I've talked about this in the past is a very brutal fighter. Um, he's ve- he just puts damage on you. He's just he does. He is a hard fighter in that respect. His kicks are powerful. His punches are. Like, he just tries to hurt you. And that might seem like, well, isn't everybody trying to hurt everybody? Yeah. But that should say something that even with that caveat, he stands out. There's other fighters like that. He's not unique in this respect, but it deserves to be said about him in particular. Like some guys just have that edge to every to their offense that just makes you wince. It's like, ow! You know, they're just mean about their offense. And Rodriguez is a mean guy with his offense. He's... A long guy for the division. Strong. He's settled down a lot of the wildness. I'm curious if that will come back if he gets more desperate. But he settled it down. He gave Max Holloway a heck of a fight not too long ago. He lost, fairly. But he was in that fight. Off his back... Here's one of my... Here's an issue with him still off his back. He's still not the best at regaining his feet. He tries to throw up kicks or we'll just kind of throw up triangles or arm bars off of his back. I tend to be of the opinion that it's still very possible to do to him what Frankie Edgar did. If you can get him backing up, not the easiest thing in the world to do, or get him on the fence, get him down and get him pressed into it. You can't just have him nearly there. You got to really compress him so he doesn't have a lot of room. Then just stand over him, posture up. If You don't even need a lot of posture, but get up, get some leverage, and start dropping on him. I think that's still a viable path to success against him. Maybe not. We'll have to see. Volkanovski might test that. The technical striking edge goes to Volkanovski easily. I think Rodriguez is probably the more damaging fighter, and that matters. Not that Volk is some, you know, pillow fists, but Yair yeah, hurts people, and Volkanovsky, he's got some, he's got some pop, but uh, he just doesn't have that same edge to what he does offensively. You know, it's good, and it'll hurt you, and it will. Uh... He busted up Max Holloway, man, and that is hard to do. So, you're not in for an easy night when you're in there with him. But what I rather... Who do I think is... Either of these guys would beat the crap out of me, right? That's What I'm about to say is, like, not related to that. I tend to... I just tend to think is the more brutal fighter. And that counts for something. I don't... We've seen Yair fight five rounds a couple of times, including against Max. He faded a little down the stretch... But not a lot. The wrestling is going to be an issue. If Max could out-wrestle you, Volk probably can. Now, there's a caveat there that you probably don't expect Max to wrestle you, whereas you better be ready for Volkanovsky's wrestling. On the feet, I think Rodriguez's wildness is going to be... That's very dangerous for about a round and a half. After that, I think Volk might be able to, over that period, discipline him a little bit and settle things down. Uh, Like I said, I'm picking Volkanovski here. I need a real good reason to pick against him. But... You discount what Yair Rodriguez has done lately and what he brings to this. Do that at your peril. Um, I'm not discounting him at all. At all. But that's a really good fight. Co-main event uh, for the flyweight title, Brandon Moreno versus Alexandre Pantoja. This is the third fight between these two men. Um, Pantoja's won both previous fights. He won once on The Ultimate Fighter. They were both on that uh, all-flyweight season when they had all regional champions to get a shot at Demetrius Johnson. Then they fought in the UFC, I think right before Moreno was cut the first time. Yeah yeah he was the it was the loss to Pantoja that sent him out of the u f c until twenty twenty when he or two thousand nineteen sorry when he came back so it was he was out for one fight and then he was part of the i think then he was part of the tough
1: season did i have that backwards um, he won the l f a title Then, yeah, I think, let me check this. No, no, he just came back. Yeah, he just came back after winning that title, and
0: he's been with the UFC since. Become champion, a two-time champion, actually. Um, So that's interesting. Pantoja has the, the record. Yeah, I mean, he finished him in the first round of their first fight, and their second fight was not especially close. However, their second fight was, I already mentioned, was 2018, so over five years ago, actually, because it was May. Moreno is not at all the same fighter now that he was then. Um, Pantoja, give Pantoja some credit here. He's been out for a while. He beat Alex Perez July of last year. But he's on a three fight winning streak. The last two have been finishes. Uh wins over Brandon Royval and uh, Alex Perez. He also beat Manel Kopp. Uh, he's only thirty three. Uh which is pretty good in his favor. Moreno's I mean, Moreno's only twenty nine, you know, so we're dealing with young guys here, as a general rule. I just have a hard time I I Moreno's in this position, and Flyweight in general is in this position where I'm not going to be surprised if he loses, because there's a lot of great talent in the division. Pantoja might win this fight. He's a great back taker, and I just talked about this with Dawson. He's got really good back takes, he's got pretty good control from there. I think Moreno's gonna be ready for that. I don't think he's gonna I think Pantoja's gonna struggle to find the same back exposure that he normally gets out of Moreno this time not saying he won't ever get it, but I think it's not going to be as consistent. I think Moreno's probably the better striker. Yeah, I'm picking Moreno, but this is a pretty close fight when you actually look at the skills each man brings. Going with Moreno, but there's a lot of guys at the moment at the top of flyweight who are all very close to each other. There's a lot of near parity here. So, we'll not be surprised at all if Pantoja pulls this off. Alright, middleweight. Uh, Robert Whitaker and Dricus Duplessis for a presumptive title shot. Um, that's what Dana White's claimed at least, so for whatever that's worth, and Dana White's word is not worth a
1: whole lot. You all know my opinion on that at this point. Here's the, I'm picking Robert Whitaker, okay?
0: I don't even have a lot of reservations about picking Robert Whitaker. He should win this fight. If these two fought a hundred times, Whitaker would win north of 90, but I... There's some people really dismissing Duplessis here, because he's got... He's a very awkward fighter, and almost nothing about how he fights is kind of how you would like to teach it, and... He just survives a little bit on the weirdness. Which is not really where you want to be, especially against a guy as sound and as seasoned and as battle-tested as Robert Whitaker. That's why I have no problem
1: picking Whitaker. Here's the here's the flip side, okay? Just hear me out for half a second. There's a few things that Duplessy
0: has going for him that need to be acknowledged, that people are overlooking because his style is... Awkward, and it's the kind of style that you look at and go, there's a million holes, and you've seen him get stopped by some other guys. I think this might look a little bit like, I think, uh, Roberto Soldich, who stopped him with strikes. Because Whitaker can do that. But
1: the thing's going for Duplessis. He's a big guy. He's physically strong. He's
0: got good power. And he's determined. This is a, this is a very, you don't deter him easily. He's had bad rounds and come back. He's been hit and hurt and come back. You, you can beat him, but he's not going to stop pursuing the fight. And that counts for a lot. Do I think it's going to lead him to victory here? No, but he also brings this element of chaos, and MMA itself is so fundamentally insane. You know, he might, like, suplex Whitaker. We might try to suplex him, that fails, and then he catches him with some random knee coming up. Like, there You can never fully discount fighters who bring that element of chaos. And Duplessis has that. Whitaker's a terrible matchup for him on paper. So is Adesanya, for that matter. Just terrible. I don't expect him to win. But the dismissal of him that's going on, I think, is a tad unfair. That's all I'm saying. Still don't think he'll win. But
1: he's gotten a lot more flack than he should my opinion. All right, lightweight.
0: Good fight here, man. Jalen Turner and Dan Hooker at lightweight. Um, This
1: is a tough one. Um, Hooker's
0: 33. He's had a bit of a rough go of it lately. He lost to Islam Makashev. He returned to... Featherweight and got stopped by Arnold Allen. He's back he, um I think he moved back to lightweight when he beat was Puyas
1: um featherweight. Um yeah, that was back at lightweight. Here's the thing about the like, Turner
0: is a sniper. He's long, he's powerful, He's coming off a split decision loss to Mateus Gamrot. That was a tough fight.
1: I thought Gamrot won, but... I don't think I hated the split. This is a real tough fight.
0: Um, and I don't like picking against Dan Hooker. But I think I have to lean towards Turner here a little bit. Hooker has struggled on occasion against guys with similar reach to him. Like if he can't be the longer guy, really kind of poking at distance. Uh, He's very good at that, by the way. So don't let him. Or if you get all the way into the pocket, his pocket boxing is pretty good. I mean, that war he had with Dustin Poirier was something else. So that's something to be aware of. I think the inability... Look, man, if Gamrot struggled with the wrestling with Turner and whatnot, I think Hooker will. I just... There's less miles on Turner. He's long, he's accurate, he's dangerous. Um, I'm going to lean towards Turner, but this is a really good fight. Kicking off the main card, we have a middleweight fight between Bo Nickel and Treshawn Gore. I'm curious to see what Nickel shows here because I am picking him without reservation. I'm not trying to I'm not trying to completely dismiss TreShaun Gore, but the given where he is in his career, I'm not saying it's impossible, but it's really unlikely. This might actually be less likely than uh, Duplase beating Whitaker, believe it or not, for Gore winning here. So going with Nickel. Curious to see how he looks, because he has looked pretty good thus far. Uh, As for the prelims, um, I think this is Robbie Lawler's last fight. Robbie Lawler fights Nico Price. (sighs) Logically, this is Price. I love Robbie Lawler. I respect him. The run of fights he went on um, that included his title win and whatnot, I mean... You're not going to find much better than that. The stretch of three fights... He had... Okay, so it's his stretch, right? He gets his first title shot against Johnny Hendricks for the vacant belt. Loses. Stops Ellenberger. Has a heck of a fight with Matt Brown. Wins the belt from Johnny Hendricks. I kind of thought he lost that one. Has an all-timer with Rory. Has an even better all-timer with Condit. Thought he lost that one, too, by the way. But that stretch of fights... That's legendary stuff, man. That is legendary stuff. The back-to-back fights between Roy McDonald and Carlos Condit. Ooh. I mean, those are two of the very best fights you will ever, ever see. Condit Lawler's better than Law- than Lawler McDonald, but... Anybody would be lucky to have one of those on their resume. He's got two of them that happened right after each other. Just... Amazing. Genuinely amazing. But he's one and, what, five in his last six at this point. Losses to Rafael dos Anjos, Ben Askren, Colby Covington, Neil Magny. His only win is, like, overweight Nick Diaz. Got stopped by Brian Barberino last time. I'm still going to pick him here. I don't know why. It's stupid. It's sentimental. But I'm going to do it. Um, We have a replacement welterweight fight here. Jack Della Maddalena was supposed to fight Sean Brady. Which is a heck of a fight. Unfortunately, Brady had an infection. He had a streptococcus of some kind in his elbow. Had to pull out. Socks in steps on short notice. uh, Josiah Harrell. Who gained a little bit of internet notoriety by slamming someone through a cage door last week. Cage door not properly secured. Might have been two weeks ago. Uh, Harold trains with Matt Brown, who's been speaking very highly of him on Twitter. Um, I was going to pick uh, JDM to beat Brady. Would have been a heck of a test of his wrestling, though. I have no problem picking JDM to beat Harold here. Caveat. Sometimes these fights, some these guys can just really surprise better fighters under these kind of conditions, so keep an eye out, but no problem picking JDM. Uh, women's Strawweight, Yasmin uh, Yarregi and Denise, uh, Denise Gomes. I think that's Gomes. Oh, I don't know. Um,
1: Wawregi didn't look too bad. How reggie excuse me. Um, yeah, she's 2-0. Ah. Hmm. I think I'm still going to go with Gomes, but you know, let me check Gomes real you know, fast. Then in the UFC. One and one. Lost to Loma Lukbunmi. Beat Bruna Brazil.
0: Yeah, let me go with Hauregi, and if I'm wrong, I'm wrong. So uh, be it. See what do we get? Um, Jimmy Crude and Alonzo Menafield. That's a weird one. So Crude has some ability, but these two fought to a draw in February. I think it was a fair draw. There was a point deduction to Menafield, so we're getting a rematch here. I think Menafield would have won that fight if he hadn't grabbed the fence, I think. That cost him the point, which led to a 10-8 third for Crute. I'm going to go with Menafield again. Um, Might be wrong, but go with Menafield. See, on the early
1: prelims... Hang on. Missing one here. I'm going to go with this listing. There's a few... There's some weirdness here about fights that
0: may have been moved around or not, so let me go with this what's listed here. Uh light heavyweight, Vitor Petrino and marching Procneo. Um Procneo he had a rough start to the UFC. He's three and
1: four at the moment. Off a win though. Um it's Petrino. Uh, Petrino's only 8-0. I
0: believe this is... uh, He has one fight, and he beat Anton Turcali. I'm actually going to go with Procneo here. Uh, Maybe foolish, but I'm going with Procneo. Uh, Let's see. Bantamweight Cameron Simon and Terrence Mitchell. Let's see if Simon can uh, avoid fouling his way almost out of a fight.
1: He's got ability, but man, is he reckless bordering on dirty um he was he was lucky in that Mano Martinez fight in that respect
0: um i s he's got a lot of ability though I think he'll probably beat mitchell mitchell's u f c debut. He washed out of some season of the Ultimate Fighter that no one cared about. He hasn't had an official loss since, um, what, jeez, 2010? The loss to Carre de France was, again, was a tough season. Before that, yeah, we got to go all the way back to 2010 when he lost in Alaska Fighting Championship. That is a heck of a
1: thing to have done. My hat's off to him on that. That's not easy to do. Most of that's where AFC. Most of it's AFC, not all of it, but most. Yeah. Um.
0: He might have something here for Simon. Simon better be uh, prepared. That that guy's good. Guy's got some serious ability. Uh, Flyweights.
1: We have um, Shannon Ross and Jesus Aguilar. Um, Ross, thirteen
0: and seven, 0 and one in the UFC. Lost to Cledson Rodriguez. Aguilar is eight and two. Lost to Tatsuro Taira in his UFC debut. That ended what an eight-fight winning streak. I might lean towards Aguilar here, just a little bit. Um, speaking of Tatsuro Tyra, I believe he's on this card fighting Edgar uh, Chariz. Chariz?
1: Oh, I, my Spanish is failing me. I can't remember how that's pronounced. Uh, Go with Chariz until I hear otherwise. Might be Chariz. I think it's Chariz. Right, I'm just going to butcher this
0: gentleman's name until I hear it done properly, so I apologize. Um, no problem picking Tyra there. He was supposed to fight last week and then that fell apart at the last minute, so yeah, no problem there. And is that still on this card? Yeah, lightweight, um, Kamuela Kirk and Esteban Rubovich. Uh Rybovich, excuse me. Um so we have let's see, Kirk. Eleven and five. One and one in the UFC. Beat Mach one Amir Kani, doesn't mean that much. Lost to Damon Jackson. Uh Rybovich, by contrast, I believe is lost in the UFC. Yeah, lost his UFC debut to Loik
1: Radzibov. What was his first loss though? I think I'm still gonna lean towards Kirk. But
0: That's one of those fights, man, that's just really hard to call. All the relevant parties are just good and closely matched. So I believe that's where we're sitting. Again, some of that might be shifted around, so don't quote me on some of those other fights. Uh, We'll have to wait and see. The Tyra one in particular might have been moved somewhere else. Um,
1: Yeah, so. That's where we are. Saturday! I will be covering
0: this in the MMA zone 411mania.com. So stop by, say hello. Always appreciate it. All right. I'm actually having a very economical show this week. So yay me. All right. Uh, let's see what we got next. So let's talk news for just a minute or two. Uh, the UFC announced an event for Mexican Independence Day, September 16th. Yeah, uh, this will be a fight night free on uh, free TV. Currently, the UFC has announced uh, the rematch between Alexa Grasso and Valentina Shevchenko for the women's flyweight title. Grosso being Mexican, fighting Mexican Independence Day in Nevada. The Mexican fans don't mind traveling to Nevada, so or to Vegas in particular. Not a bad move. We kind of knew that fight was coming. It was a touch inevitable, all things considered. I might still lean Shevchenko in the rematch, but there's a few things she has to have ironed out. There's some habits that Grosso was very dialed into and very ready for. Also on that card, Kelvin Gastelum returning to welterweight to fight Shavkat Rachmanov. Big test for Rachmanov. He got hit with some shots when he fought Jeff Neal that if he lets Gastelum through, lets Gastelum's offense through, that'll be a problem. Uh, my hunch is still to lean towards Rachmanov, but it's a tough fight. Uh, also, sort of announced, uh, Chris Curtis and Anthony Hernandez. Good fight. Tracy Cortez and Jasmine Jazdivisius. I don't care. Uh, more will be announced for that card as we get closer to the date, but that's on the event calendar now, so fair play. Um, anything else get announced? I think they confirmed UFC 294 for the Etihad Arena in Abu Dhabi. They might have already done so, but just double checking that. Um, we know UFC 293 is happening in Sydney. Still not a whole lot announced for that. Uh, the September 2nd card, this is in France. Uh, headlined by Cyril Gahn and Sergei Spivak. Still needs some fleshing out. I think they announced, new for that one, Volkan Uzdemir and Azamat Mirzakhanov. Uh, that's also, I talked a little bit about this when it was announced, uh, Rose Yunus and Manon Fjord and Nama Namajunis' Flyweight debut. Interesting move from Rose. Uh, I think that's it for current... We're doing another kind of set of fight announcements in the nearest future. We're mostly set through August. And actually, that... That's... Uh, that Singapore card could use some fleshing out. We got, we've got we got some decent fights there, sort of. That needs to be fleshed out. I think we're kind of waiting on 292. Actually, um, let me dovetail into my next point on that one because this lines up rather nicely. So Henry Cejudo is out of his fight with Marlon Vera from UFC 292. That was also kind of the unofficial backup for Aljamain Sterling and Sean O'Malley in your main event, if anything happened to it. So, Vera's without an opponent. Um, allegedly, you can see Cejudo injure his shoulder doing his like YouTube breakdown of something. Um, my hunch is that wasn't the injury. My hunch is his shoulder was already tweaked, and he just re-aggravated it. That's what you see him doing. We cannot, Look, as you get older, your body falls apart doing the dumbest things. When you're a kid, you know, you could fall off a roof and just like, is there a bone sticking out? No? All right, we're good. You know, you hit 35 and suddenly you sneeze too hard and your lower back spasms. So it might be that that is where the injury legitimately occurred. My hunch is it was already off and he just felt that it was more off there. Um, But anyway, he's out. So Vera wanted Peter Jan to step in. That would be a fight. Um, 292 is a decent card all the way around. You get Sterling and O'Malley, um, Zhang Weili and Amanda Lima, just a little bit of placeholder. Font and Song Yudong is a good fight. Jeff Neal and Ian Machado Gary pretty good. Cody Garbrandt trying to salvage his career. The return of Chris Weidman. So that one's decent. Um, I mean, As we get closer to where we are now, does UFC on ESPN card August 12th? That is mostly set. Boy, that is a deeply uninspiring card. I mean, there's yeah, that's that's a boy. Is that an obvious placeholder? Anyway, more on that when the when we get to it. Um, so I think that's it for fights at the moment. Anything else? No, I don't want to do that. I'm not I'm not devoting any more time and energy to that topic. So let me check Twitter, see if anything crazy is broken. If not, we will get out of here after plugs. Nope, doesn't look like it. So, plugs. I already mentioned my report. You can find um, Damn You Hollywood will be on Monday at 9.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time this week. It's the 4th of July here in the United States on the on Tuesday, so we decided to bump it a day. Uh, Myself, Mark Radlich, and I believe Alexis Haina will be reviewing Indiana
1: Jones and the Dial of Destiny. Um, Yeah.
0: Look, I know some people have come out of this with a moderately positive experience. I was not one of them. At all. But we're gonna talk about it, so feel free to stop by. That's just a little preview of that for me. So stop by, give that a listen. Wherever you, um, wherever you listen to podcasts, you can find it after the fact. If you want to watch us live, uh, W2M Network on Twitch, YouTube, Facebook, technically, technically Twitter. Uh, we stream those live again. That'll be 9:30 p.m. Eastern Time, Monday. Uh, I cover professional wrestling as well as mixed martial arts for 411mania. Com, so you can find me covering MLW's events, uh, Fusion on Thursday, WWE SmackDown on Friday, and I occasionally pinch it for other stuff, and of course UFC 290 on Saturday. That's the week. Next week, back here, review UFC 290 and preview. God help us all. UFC on ESPN Plus 82, Holly Holm versus Myra Buena Silva.
1: Yeah. Hang on, can I find something from that card? I have to find
0: something from that card to be somewhat excited about. There's got to be something. Hang on, I gotta look. All right. Duryev and Park, jo- and Junyoung Park. Maybe. Oh God, Walt Harris and Josh Parisian. That's gonna suck. Pointless women's featherweight fight. Zaitar maybe. It'll probably be a finish at least. Uh Terrence McKinney. I don't I don't hate Terrence McKinney.
1: Um This is just a weak card. Tyson Nam's fighting, so that might be something. Yeah, there's There's no getting around
0: it. That is a weak, weak card. Full preview next week as you can hear me try to desperately hang on to the remains of my sanity. That'll be fun. Alright, thank you all very, very much as always for listening, for interacting with the product in any way you can. Appreciate the heck out of all of you. Till next time, stay safe out there and continue to be well, be safe and behave.